Computing Broadcast, a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. Hello, Fascination. Welcome to the show. So on on my other podcast, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies, you know me as the analytical mastermind, and many would call me a superhero when it comes to that show. In real life, I am not. But fortunately, there are several people who are superheroes in real life, and they're part of a movement that's aptly called the Real Life Superhero Movement. Now, I I love this idea. I've I've seen many on uh, the news reports on various people doing things in cities, making their community a better place. And luckily, I know a guy who's an expert, and that's T. Krulos, who wrote a book called Heroes in the Night, which is about, he was embedded with the superhero movement, with several people went on patrols, really knew about this this world inside and out. And you might remember him from a previous episode about a one, one particular superhero named Richard McCaslin, also known as the Phantom Patriot, so I recommend you check out that episode. But this week, we're going to talk about the entire movement, where it came from, uh, where it's going, and what it was like to be to patrol the streets uh, with some real-life superheroes. So let's get into this. T. Krulos, thank you so much for being on the show today. T, this is very exciting. I don't know. Th- th- hopefully this is as, as exciting for you as it is for me um, because you now you're a member of the Two-Timer Club. This is the second time you've been on the show. Uh, so for how, let me get your reactions to that before we dive into anything of substance. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here again. This is awesome. <laughs> well, you remember the first time we talked, um, you know, we talked about your book, American Madness. And what's great about that book is, you know, it profiles Richard McCaslin, who, you know, is part of the real life superhero movement, you know, um, and that is that's the movement we're going to talk about today. But through researching, uh, you know, through researching that movement in your book, and I have a copy here. I don't know if you have a copy. Heroes in the Night. Mine's autographed. Hopefully yours is as well. And I've got a nice little, uh, oh, you have one. Oh, good. Look at that. Uh Cool little bookmark. Uh, So that's the book we're going to talk about today. So this was written a while ago, and hopefully we're going to provide some updates. But was it researching that book? Is that how you kind of came across Richard McCaslin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So I started that book, uh, Heroes in the Night, in 2009. Um, What happened was... Uh, there's a weekly newspaper here called the Shepherd Express. It's a very typical alternative weekly, like most big cities have. And they run a syndicated column called News of the Weird, mm-hmm. which, of course, which, of course, I love to read. And it was just short little blurbs about different weird stuff. And in this particular column, it said, hey, there's this like growing subculture of people and they actually adopt their own superhero personas. Mm-hmm. And some of them try to go out and fight crime. And I read that and I was like, how crazy is that? What is that right. all about? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't shake it. I was thinking about the story like all day. You know, I went mm-hmm. to the grocery store. I was walking around. I was like, what does that mean? Like, It affected you, man. Like this really yeah. got, this got into you. It got into my head. So. Yeah. When I eventually got home, um, 
I was like, hey, if there's a local real-life superhero here in Milwaukee, I certainly want to meet them because <laughs> at that time, like now, um, I'm a freelance writer. So I'm always looking for kind of a unique, interesting story. Right. Yeah. So I, I did a Google Milwaukee real-life superhero and up pops this MySpace profile for a guy calling <laughs> that, himself. That doesn't date this whole research. <laughs> right, right. This yeah, was, MySpace. This was, this was right around the time when people were starting to leave MySpace for yeah. Facebook quite a bit. But yeah. people were still using MySpace. For those of you who were born afterwards, MySpace is the precursor <laughs> uh, to to Facebook. But it was the but it was the advancement. It was the next step after Friendster. So, you know, there's quite a quite an evolution going on there for those of you who were too young to know what MySpace is. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So I find this MySpace profile for a guy calling himself the Watchman. And, you know, in his little bio blurb said, I'm a real life superhero in the Milwaukee area. And, you know, I'm going out on patrols and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I didn't think he would respond, but I was like, I'm going to try. So I messaged him and I was like, hey, I'm a writer. I'm real interested to hear what this is all about. And uh, he replied. He was like, yeah, we can meet up somewhere. But of course, you can't just like meet a real life superhero at a coffee shop or something like that. (laughs) It kind of kills the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So he suggested uh, that we meet up um, at a city park near my house one night at like 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. No, I want to keep it. Now, now, if I remember this correctly, you're getting a little ahead of my notes here, but I believe this was at the um, the Mary Tyler Moore statue. Is that? Oh, that was later. Is that Uh, different? Okay. Okay. never mind. Sorry. that's up in Minneapolis. We have okay, a statue sorry. of the Fonz here in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, okay, I was like, okay, I'll see you there. So sure. I was hey. wandering around this park. It was it was night, you know, and and then I see this car pull up and a guy gets out and he's wearing a full on superhero costume you know he had a cowl right he had the shirt with his logo on it and these gloves and he started walking towards me and i was like oh what this is this is real the story is real actually yeah yeah. here's the dude and it just it was very a very surreal moment in my life (laughs) and uh i was like yeah i was like oh i shook his hand and i was like hey watch man nice to meet you and we walked around uh, the park in the neighborhood and had a long conversation. Now, I imagine, so Watchman must have, he wasn't a jeweler. He wasn't like fixing watches. So how did he get the name Watchman? Did he explain that? Uh, I mean, I, I always thought he was inspired by Watchmen, the famous graphic right. novel. But he okay. said that he just chose it because a watchman being like a sentinel or, mm. uh, you know, someone watching over other people. Right. Um, I had this conversation with him and I really liked him. I, I thought he was very interesting, but I thought, you know, he was heartfelt about helping other people. And the neighborhood that I lived in at that time, it had crime problems. I mean, it was a very cool neighborhood because all of the, a lot of the artists and musicians in the city lived there, but along with the low rents, there was some crime issues. So I was very frustrated um, because my friends would get mugged and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So so I was like, you know, maybe this is an outside the box 
way of addressing it. I don't know. I was, I mean, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was, I was open to the concept. I was like, it probably isn't a good idea, but maybe, maybe there's something to it. So, um, I got to know him a little bit and stayed in contact. I wrote a short article for Milwaukee magazine about him. And I was like, that article really only scratched the surface in my opinion. So that's when I kind of had the the light bulb moment to write a book about this movement. And it was great that I'd had such a good introduction to Watchmen because he pretty much vouched for me for the rest of the real life superhero community, which oh, right. connected with each other online. And he said, Hey, I met this, this guy, he wrote a pretty respectful article about me. He didn't make fun of me. So if he reaches out to you, I would recommend that you talk to him. And that was very helpful. And, um, you know, at that time I didn't have a book deal. Um, I would just save up some extra money and every few months I would take a short trip out to New York or, uh, Seattle and spend a long weekend hanging out with real life superheroes, going on patrol with them, talking to them. And, uh, eventually I, I, I think I went to probably, eight or nine different cities around the country wow. and uh, wow. became very well known in that community yeah. and uh, had some adventures and misadventures and <laughs> uh, I'm yeah. still in contact with uh, quite a few people that I met from oh, that's great. that running too. Cause that's what I, I, cause kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit was how, you know, cause this is, the book was written in 2012. I believe you started your research in like t- 2009 you know, this, yeah. you mentioned that because of social media, uh, the aforementioned MySpace, you know, that's 2004, 2005. So this is a little bit older now, you know, you're coming up on like 15, 16 years. And unlike the comic books, you know, the life of a, of a real life superhero has got to be pretty short. Uh, so I, I want to hear some updates as we go along. But one of the things I wanted to quickly mention before we dive right into it, you know, uh, you have this uh, thing called Tease Weird Week. And just March 12th, uh, you did a whole thing where you created your own Batman supervillain called the Bingo Master. Uh, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> this is a great story um, because tell me a little bit about how you came across the history of the bingo card and how that led you to this uh, to the, the the origin story of the of BM, aka the Bingo Master. You know, I don't know why I was Googling bingo to begin with. This was years ago. <laughs> Answer Many that question ago. first. I need to know that one. That's important. <laughs> Years ago, Critical. I was go- I was Googling bingo for some reason, and I can't remember why. I think I was curious as to how old of a game it was for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I Googled, and I came across this really random fact or, or myth, I think is maybe more accurate. But it said that um, the guy who, you know, he saw people playing a similar game called Bino, and um, he decided he was going to market a game version of this that he he could sell you know right and so he um he employed a mathematics professor because he wanted eight thousand unique bingo cards so (laughs) the myth is that this professor was trying to you know make these different cards and it was so overwhelming that he went insane (laughs) from trying to design these bingo cards (laughs) right and i immediately i was like does that not sound like the origin of a batman villain 
Like, <laughs> Definitely Silver Age Batman. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't show up today, but yeah, it's definitely Silver Age. Right around the, the Batman TV show era, yeah, right? Like right, it's a right, yeah. 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 <laughs> I was like, that is this like straight straight Batman Silver Age villain 101, you know? Yeah, like yeah. something drives them insane and then they adopt that thing that made them insane, you know. <laughs> right. Like like the Riddler or the Catwoman becoming yeah. obsessed with cats or whatever. So. Sure. <laughs> so it, it just I it kind of I had that thought years ago and then I'm always like trying to think of something to do for Tease Weird Week. And uh the new Batman movie came out, and of course I was excited to see it. And uh, and at the same time, my friend was having a bingo event and then the two just kind of came together and I was like, oh, yeah, that weird fact. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to like write yeah. something about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote like a, a short, like, you know, backstory to the villain. And then my friend kind of uh, designed an image of the bingo master trying to capture Batman and Robin in a giant bingo cage. Those things where the balls spin around in, yeah, yeah, as as you would. And I will say, I, I, so I'm going to put a I'll put a link to that so people can read it themselves. Uh, and you know, uh, it's still up for licensing. I mean, no one snatched this up for movies. It, it did not appear. I haven't seen the Batman, but from what I understand, the Bingo Master does not make an appearance. Correct? <laughs> not yet. No. So, maybe the sequel. Uh, yeah. So maybe in the sequel, we'll see what happens. Um, you know, I want to also mention that two things you kind of brought up that were really interesting to me. Uh, number one is that you need needed um, the Watchmen to really kind of give you credibility in this world. And it's funny, I did a, you know, a, a quasi documentary um, about a small town in, in Illinois that was, it's like cult adjacent, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, um, but you definitely don't want to use the C word when talking about them. But I remember a lot of people would make fun of them because they had a lot of like different beliefs, little fringe beliefs and stuff. And it's very important you know, uh, that you, when you are talking to people that you approach them properly. And, and I think that that's very important. So when you said that it, it really rang true um, because, you know, I've gone to a lot of comic book conventions and I've got friends who, you know, take that cheap, easy joke about all these goofy people dressed up. And it's like, it's such yeah. a cheap joke and it's so disrespectful. Right. And I, and I really, I've always loved your approach. It's very similar to mine. It comes from a place of genuine curiosity and yeah. it's so important to establish credibility. Uh, and so I just lo- I didn't want to mention I love that. And, and I, I feel like I, I'm I'm one of you as well. Um, one of the first interviews I ever did, speaking of <laughs> strange, but needing to be respectful. When I was in college, I did an interview with a guy who changed his name to Superman Prophets the third. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, he was a little out there. But he was he's one of those guys who's just a little misunderstood, but he was uh, very interesting. And it struck me not only the Superman, but also some of the people you spoke with, because, you know, we may have talked pro wrestling. I, I, I love it. You know, it's it's my my I talk about it on the show a lot. I love pro wrestling. And there are a lot of very similar comic books and pro wrestling have a lot of overlap. And I felt like when you were talking to people in the movement who are really active as a real life superhero, everything seems to have been either inspired by or right in line with pro wrestling comic books, you know, both the approach, uh, the, the costumes, the uniform, they call it. Did you find this? Does this seem the, this, did you find this to be true when you were dealing with a lot of these people? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, two of the people that I met, uh, razor Hawk, who's from Minneapolis and a guy who simply called himself superhero, 
who's from uh, Clearwater, Florida. Yeah. They both uh, were former, you know, semi-pro wrestlers. Oh. So, so you know, they um, they definitely were familiar with wrestling, and I think that was part of their, you know, they knew how to develop a persona because they had been wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, Razorhawk, I think he's probably the first person to offer like a good or service within the real life superhero community. He had a company called hero gear and he would um, design logos and create full on costumes for people. Wow. Um, And he had, you know, learned how to make costumes using spandex and other materials because he would make his own wrestling costumes when he was a wrestler. Right. So he just kind of uh, carried that skill over from that. I love that you find. I mean, that's the perfect entrepreneur, right? You find a a need and you fill it. <laughs> you got you yeah. got a whole movement of real life superheroes. Hey, you got to have a costume, right? I think there was another person, uh, Jack T. Ripper, who I believe was also a pro wrestler who also did costumes. I think that was in your book. That, yeah, that was that was Razor Hawk. That was his. Uh, oh. that, was his re- that was his wrestling persona. Was Jack oh. T. Ripper. Oh, I yeah. missed that. Oh, and, and Razor Ox is, re- is a superhero name. Yeah, his superhero name, yeah. Got it. Okay, I missed that connection. Okay, <laughs> those not two people, it's still just one. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's it's so great. I, and this led me down this, very quickly, I want to tell you about a side street that I went down was, um, I'm sure, have you, have you heard of Ric Flair, the pro wrestler? Woo! Sure, yeah, yeah, everyone yeah. knows Ric Flair, right? Uh, so right. he was known for having these very gaudy, uh, you know, ring attire, you know, these robes, sequins, feathers, boas. And there's a woman named Olivia Walker who designed all of them. And these are $10,000 robes. Uh, And I'll tell you this because I found that interesting, but also that there really is this kind of cottage industry of creating the costumes for people who want to go out. You don't want to just wear like long johns or something. You want something cool, man. You want something that sets you apart, gives you personality, but also you don't look like a, a dope who went to, you know, Kmart to find their their costume, right? Right, right, exactly. Uh, that was the interesting thing, too. The costumes really did range quite a bit in the real-life superhero community. Some of them definitely looked uh, homemade. <laughs> I guess it's a polite way to say it. Sure. But, but, but some of them were pretty uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, there was a guy named Citizen Prime who was from Salt Lake City, and he had, like, this full-on, like, uh, our body armor and a helmet and really? it it looked like you know he stepped out of a, a superhero movie so yeah <laughs> well, a modern one not not one from the, uh, from the 50s and 60s uh yeah. yeah there were a lot of people who had some some great ones uh and and some were very simple you know but um but i thought that was really really cool uh the one thing I, we got to touch on oh, so one thing i want to make really clear just to people watching this is that i mentioned comic conventions when you go to comic conventions you will see people dressed up as superheroes favorite superhero it's called cosplaying some people will you know do a little mix of genres or whatever uh, there's also LARPers. I did a whole episode on this show, Fascinating Nouns, about LARPing, LARPers, where people, it's live action role playing where you play a game, but you're actually acting it out. Now, these are two very, these are two very distinct topics that are also distinct from real life superheroes, because real life superheroes, yeah. cosplayers typically are are using current or or modern or, or existing property to sound like a corporate dork. Uh, they're using, you know, superheroes that exist. Real life superheroes have made their own persona and have created a superhero that they're it's totally brand new. And that that is their own persona. So I want to make that clear uh, before we start talking about like the history 
of real life superheroes because I found this to be th this was really interesting to me, T, uh, because you can go as far back as Robin Hood as the first real life superhero, which I thought was great. Um, you know, you got a group called the Bald Knobbers who were in the 1880s. There seems to be. Uh, Vigilante justice seems to be a theme. Uh, so tell me, like, how far back did you go? What did you find? And and could you really determine, you know, the original superhero? Yeah. Um, so like you say, I mean, this idea has existed for a long time in our history. Um, Robin Hood was supposed to be based on a real person, maybe. I mean, it's hard to tell, of course. Um, even Zorro, uh, they, they thought that this character was inspired, um, by a real person as well as the Lone Ranger. But I think the, the modern superhero movement, uh, real life superhero movement starts in the late sixties, early seventies. There we have some pretty concrete evidence of people who were kind of playing with this concept a little bit. Um, one guy I found to be very fascinating, and he might be the first of the sort. He called himself the Fox, and he was pretty much an environmental activist. Um, he didn't have a superhero costume, but he would often wear sort of a what I call the Russian spy disguise. He'd have a trench coat and sunglasses and like a furry hat. You know, it's like a Mad like, Magazine uh, more than Russian spy. But yeah, yeah right, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and he was very upset because a lot of um, companies were polluting the Fox River, which he lived along. And so he took this sort of direct action where he would stuff the drainage pipes full of garbage and like nail them shut and then leave a sign on it that said, you know, stop messing around with Mother Nature, signed the Fox and um, was kind of a an outlaw vigilante. I want to now I want to I want to pause on the Fox for a second because I I'm very close to doing a whole episode on the Fox. So people listening, cool. I just want to talk about a couple of cool things here because he was a science teacher, you know, Walter White breaking bad style. Uh, he got his, yeah. his a biology biology degree at Northern Illinois University, my alma mater. Uh, I got a degree okay. there. Um, he did the Fox River. A friend of mine asked me to do a documentary on the Fox River. Her dad wanted wanted to have this done and the Fox was going to be a whole, you know, a whole section of this. Uh, it, it's really interesting. Is in a he's from Aurora, where I got my first speeding ticket. Uh, actually, I got a ticket for not using a turn signal to change lanes. So, so I'm in. I don't want to say that I'm intertwined with the Fox here, T. But his he was really cool. And the last thing about him, which I thought was really interesting, is that he was almost comedically polite. He didn't really enjoy yeah. doing this. Yeah. Um, he threw up yeah. from nervousness, which became his pre-mission ritual. Uh, yeah. And he once threw a stink bomb through a window of a plant leaking chemicals into a river and then left money to pay for the <laughs> pay for the window. Yeah, I mean, he, this dude was so unique. He's really cool. Yeah. The other story like that that is so charming to me is um, he decided to go to the corporate offices of one of these companies and he had this bucket and it was filled with sludge, like dead animals and sludge from the river. Mm hmm. And he walked into the offices and he threw the contents of the bucket on the floor and said, you know, this is for the animals or something like that. And then he saw that he had very badly scared the secretary. Yeah. Right. Sitting at the <laughs> yeah. front desk. And he felt so bad about that, that he sent her a bouquet of flowers <laughs> with a note saying, hey, I, I'm sorry that I scared you. I didn't mean to do that. Right. So 
he was a kind of aggressive activist, but at the same time, a charming gentleman too. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's very, it's very fun. I mean, I could see this being turned into a British comedy. I mean, he just feels so like polite to the sake of being hilarious. Uh, you know, and you mentioned, so you mentioned him. So that's the late sixties. And I think, so, you know, you're the historian here, but as I was looking through all of this, I, I do want to mention if you haven't, if you, in your book, you talk about the bald knobbers. What's so great about them is they're a vigilante group that starts out as a superhero group, but they kind of end up going off the rails by punishing anyone who doesn't fit their moral code. Yeah. And I love that because you see that happen, right? Like even with Batman, there's this whole idea that he's he's on the edge. The only thing that makes him a superhero is that he happens to have the positive moral compass, you know? Um, he doesn't kill, he does, you know, he's got all those right things. But the way he approaches supervillains as, as if he were a supervillain. Like he, he's so close to being a bad guy that it's scary. And you see, as I noticed in some of your stories and as I did some research to see what happened to some of these people now, you know, um, and we'll get to some specifics later on, but there seems to be a moment where some of these guys actually go from being a superhero to a supervillain. And anyone who's watched my other podcast, F Triple GBT, knows that I say at the end of every episode, you want to be a superhero and not a supervillain. Uh, I feel like people were really close on this T and it seems to be a theme of not only your book, but in some ways the movement in general. Yeah. I mean, uh, these are, people are all humans and as such, you know, they're susceptible for human pitfalls. And so, um, yeah, there are examples of people who maybe got into it for the wrong reason to begin with, mm -hmm. or kind of as they went along became more jaded or corrupted by, um, you know, their own egos. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, um, form of ego sometimes. Yeah. Well, you kind of have to, right. I mean, to do anything like that, I mean, look at what I'm doing, look at what you're doing, right? Like there's, there's ego involved in that. It's, it's, you know, you can't really deny that, but sometimes people do it for, you know, look at the Fox, right? Like there's obviously ego involved in that as well, but also it doesn't have to be bad. And I think it's tricky yeah. there. Yeah. Um, but to keep you on the straight and narrow, right. I, I kind of thought as I was reading your book and looking at some of the other things going on, it seems to me that the, the real life superhero movement kind of starts with the publication of a very particular book in the late seventies called how to be a superhero. Oh uh, yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I, I think before this it's, you know, it's Robin Hoodie type people. It's the, it's, it's individuals who aren't connected, you know, as old as, as old as MySpace is, it didn't exist in the seventies. And so you, you, you got all these people kind of operating and wanting to do good in their communities and not really knowing what to do. Uh, and then, so this guy called the Knight Rider, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is yeah. which is great this is before the tv show he wrote a book called yeah. how to be a superhero which so i got a copy of it and i read it and i've got notes i thought it was actually a very interesting you, book made you, for where, kids where did you get it? uh you know what t i've got my sources you're not the only one <laughs> with sources t uh yeah i got i got a copy do you not have you not read it yeah i have oh. uh where'd you get your copy but, t well see so you Okay, uh, at the time, it, people were looking for this book. Someone uh -huh. had heard about the book. People were looking for it, and uh -huh. they couldn't find a copy anywhere. Really? There wasn't any on eBay or, or Amazon or anything. Uh, you know, that might have changed since then, obviously. So what they did, the real-life superheroes kind of pooled their resources 
they found that there was a copy in the University of Michigan library. <laughs> so they they sent a Michigan it. real life superhero to the library who photocopied the entire book. Really? And then scanned all the pages and then uploaded that so anyone within the community that had access to this forum, uh, which included me at the time, uh, could read, you know, the scans of the entire book. So that's how I read it. Wow. Yeah, I, I have. I will admit, I have a digital copy. It's not a. It's not a, a hard copy. But I think this was one of those. You know, I did a whole episode on Count Dante, uh, who was publishing books uh, in the back of Marvel comic books. So you would send away mm-hmm. and get. You know, this book is actually it's a glorified pamphlet. A book is a hard. Yeah, it's a big right, word. Yeah, big yeah. word for that. Um, but it's very yeah. interesting. And it's you know, there's cool points. You know, there there's a whole there's a whole thing about visualization which as we know now is, is very important you know people can learn muscle memory by just doing visualization uh, and there's you talked about a group called the magnificent 13 who end up becoming the guardian angels um you know the the, this, the necessity to have a martial art be able to defend yourself uh how do you have a yeah. uniform i mean it's really in some ways uh the the bible of superheroes yeah he, he wrote a little bit about the fox yeah in, in the yeah, book too yeah. so he was aware that he had existed and um, yeah, it's I, probably the first book published that, you know, at least like visualizes the ideas of being a real life superhero. Um, and, and Richard McCaslin, who I wrote about in American Madness, he says that, uh, like you said, he saw an ad for this book in the back of a, a Marvel comic book and he, he bought the book and, um, you know, he was so impressed with it that he actually drove to the city where the P.O. box is listed and drove around <laughs> all night, hoping that he would randomly encounter a Knight Rider. That sounds like something. That's a, that's really Richard McCaslin. That's very Richard yeah. McCaslin. <laughs> yeah, very literal about, you know, this guy probably might not have even gone out in a costume. Right. He might have just written a book about it. You know, yeah. who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think he was probably just by reading the book and the care that he took to write it. And there's just I, I don't know. You could be right. He may not. It may have just been for profit. But he felt like a guy who had been connected to different super people in the movement and really wanted to write the book. It feels like an earnest publication, which is, I think, yeah. you know, which is why things become cult favorites. Right. It's someone doing something to them it's meaningful they're really doing a good job and trying to do the best that they can and it just becomes you know it's odd or weird and it just kind of captures uh, uh you know uh hits it resonates with people in a certain way and i think that this book is exactly that uh you know and it's because i, I just look at that now like the the um I, I was mistaken when I said that this was the Bible, because I think in the book you talk about how the Watchmen, the actual comic book, the Watchmen is kind of the Bible of the group. And Batman is the Jesus. I, I may have made this up. I don't know <laughs> if you said this or I, I'm losing fact from fiction. I couldn't remember if I drew these conclusions or you did. Um, but that, you know, the, the Kitty Genovese death, the, the, that's the famous New York story where a woman gets raped and murdered for like an hour while onlookers, you know, listen and do nothing for I think it's like an hour or something like that, that that's kind of their major, their Christmas or their Easter or whatever. Uh, so there's there's this whole mythology. It's in some ways, uh, it, it goes beyond being a movement. And to some, it's, it's close enough to a religion. People take this very seriously is what I'm trying to say there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, some people do. There, you, you have your, your people who dabble. Um, I like to compare it to like, you know, having an experimental phase in college or whatever. Sure. They, they, yeah. try, they try it out for a little bit and they're like, ah, I'm not going to do that. But you have people who are definitely 
that becomes uh, their lifestyle for life. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a major part of their identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you look at superheroes, I mean, they are kind of the deities of our pop culture, right? Like, I mean, I remember being in in school and thinking that, that what it's the difference between the Greek gods or, or even the Norse gods and Thor. Oh, well, he is one, right? <laughs> I mean, it's they're they're yeah. so close. I mean, Superman to me, I, I'm not a Superman fan because he's way too powerful. I mean, I don't know what the difference between God and him is, except maybe lifespan. You know, I mean, there's not really anything he can't do. You know, and I think that those are that's what people are really into comic books in some ways worship these people. And even, you know, the you can even take it a step down and say, like, the, you know, the sub deities, gods with a little G where you have your Batman or your Hawkeye who don't have any powers at all. They're like Hercules and Perseus, you know, Uh, so you can really draw this conclusion out. And I think I'm doing that because it tells you just how deeply held these beliefs are to people. And, you know, and in a positive way. This group is trying to emulate the aspects because they are fictional, right? I mean, you could say that about any mythology, really. Um, but it's fictional. But the the standards are there. The the values, the mores, those are. It's all still important, and it's something for them to emulate. And I think that's really what they do. And I actually find this to be. Uh, I mean, I'm impressed by it. I think these people really want people who are in this movement really want to do good in their communities, and this is the way they express that. They kind of take it back, you know. Yeah, I really kind of cheered for a lot of them mm. because the world is such a depressing place, oh, and there me. are so many people <laughs> that are out for themselves or actively like looking to screw people over or whatever. So just to see a movement that was based on, hey, we're going to go out and do a nice thing. Sadly, in the world that we live in, (laughs) that's a kind of a major thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because I I saw that, you know, in some ways, the the real life superheroes fall into two categories. And you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is what I kind of saw is people who want to stop crime. You know, people who actually want to, you know, there are people who go to the parks in New York stopping, like physically stopping drug dealers or they want to go around. uh, There's also this thing. I forget what it's called. It's called like um, a bait watch where you you have like a what looks like a vulnerable female and they're trying to get someone to attack her so that they can stop that crime. Uh, Yeah, a little fuzzy on whether that's okay or not. But that's that's one aspect. The other aspect yeah. is people who just want to make the city a nicer place. They go and they they visit homeless shelters or they take food to Skid Row. Uh, they just do nice things for people. And some are charity workers. Some just kind of have this altruistic streak. There is a spectrum. You know, there's people who are like everywhere in yeah. the middle on that. But to me, if you're going to kind of break them down into two distinct categories, that's what I saw. What did you see on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're totally right. That's There's all I wanted to. I just love hearing that. That's, really, it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have people who want to be like Batman. They want to get out there and, and fight crime actively. Um, I think, you know, those people probably have adrenaline addictions sure. or something like that. And then you have a group of people who are like, you know what? I don't want to fight crime because I think I would probably be bad at that. <laughs> but I really like this idea of being a superhero. And so, like you say, they'll do things like hand out supplies to homeless people or charity events or, you know, even smaller things like litter pickups, which um, you'd be like, well, why do they need a costume to do that? And there's people who do that without the costume. But I mean, if that's what works for them, I mean, wear whatever you want, you know, I think there's I think there's something to. 
you know, we all walk around in our in our daily lives as, you know, you know, I walk around as Dan in my daily life, right? But when I come on the show, I can be, you know, the, the the talk show host or the analytical mastermind on my other show, right? Like you can do these personas and in some ways, you know, with pro wrestling, they always say that the best personas are your personality turned up to a 10. So when you put on that costume, you get to be someone else. And maybe in your daily life, you, you yeah. know, you're not picking up litter from the streets as you walk around. But when you put that on, now you have to, they're supposed to, that's who you've, that's the character you've created. Uh, I think it's, I think it's actually important you know, I mean, there's this great quote, Oscar Wilde. Uh, uh, let's see if I can find it here. This is this is a great one. I want to talk about this with costumes. But it, Oscar Wilde said that man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask and he will tell you the truth. And that got shortened to a saying which I always hold really dear, which is you give a man a mask and he will show you his true face. Nowhere is that more prevalent than on Twitter uh, and all these, you know, forms where you become anonymous. But I think it's also very important in a very positive way with the entire superhero, real life superhero movement is you give people a mask and they show you just how good they can really be. And they feel good because, you know, they're they're dressed for the part. So it's a a, a big ego boost, I think. Uh, yeah, in with, a positive without way. question. Now, did um now you 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 did a little bit of this too, didn't you? Weren't you the Argoyle Argyle Gargoyle? Did you uh do you want to talk about that or should we should we save that for the another section? But like when you when you had on that mask, did you feel like somebody else or were you were you just pretending? What what's going on here, T? Yeah, uh, so the, we'll, we'll say there's a spoiler. Um, at the very end of the book, you know, I was like, all right, well, you know, I should I should try it myself. Um, I didn't want to make that the whole focus of the book because I thought it would, you know, I didn't want the book to be about me. But at the very end, um, I met up with the Watchman, you know, the first guy I met. And by that time, he had developed a little bit of a crew called the Challengers, so I developed my own real life superhero persona. Um, at first, I called it the Argyle Gargoyle because uh, there was no Argyle themed superheroes that I knew of. And that's a shame. I'm glad you, I'm glad you addressed that clear, a clear problem in the superhero community. <laughs> but it was uh, I got sick of trying to say it. So I shortened it to Argo. Um and I, I went out on patrol in my neighborhood with the challengers and um it was a weird experience uh it i was kind of freaked out nervous you know i just felt like attention was on me because i was dressed in this unusual attire but uh but then again i did also kind of get the thrill of being anonymous it was really fun. We walked by a couple of my friends and they had no idea it was me, even though, you know, <laughs> physically I'm uh, pretty easy to identify, but I was wearing a full on mask and gloves and everything. So they just kind of were looking at me really suspiciously and um, I, I kept my mouth shut so they wouldn't recognize my voice. <laughs> But it was fun. It was a fun experience. I mean, I, I think you're 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 burying the lead here. I think they were even talking to people saying, hey, my friend T's doing a book on <laughs> real life superheroes. Yes, right. And me and Mel, you're like, yeah. Hmm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I should read it. <laughs> so that was yeah. that was a great yeah. story. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a great point here, which is something I wanted to mention is I think people listening must wonder, like, how dangerous is this? I mean, you're you're going out, you're doing things that cops trained professionals should be doing. Uh, there's, you know, the guy uh, I, I'm I'm blanking on his name. I believe it's Citizen something in New York who 
you know, actually actively confronts drug dealers. Um, there was uh, a guy named Nostrum was stabbed in the eye and lost his vision. Uh, you know, there, there are people who are, you know, maybe they're the adrenaline junkies you're talking about. But people are looking for danger. But this can be really serious, especially, you know, when you see some of the people, they don't look as physically fit. They haven't taken martial arts. I think that they're, they are a crime waiting to happen. But you got some people who are kind of B.A. And you're like, I could see where they could defend themselves and do this properly. But it's still dangerous, though, T. Yeah, yeah. I mean, always, always dangerous. Um, anytime that you're putting yourself in between a situation where there's criminals, you know, you never know. I mean, everyone has a gun in this country practically. So you never know when someone's going to pull out a gun on you. And so it's, it's very dangerous, I would say. Yeah. Well, and a lot of these, you know, and I imagine, you know, you talk about, we've mentioned costumes, you've mentioned people going out and doing this. Uh, what did you see was the response from law enforcement? You know, there's a whole documentary called superheroes about this, you know, in the book, you have some kind of run into law enforcement, mm -hmm. a guy, you know, just to give a little foreshadowing of what we we're going to get to with Phoenix Jones, you have a whole story about him inter, uh, getting involved yeah. with the cops. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So there's, I feel like it's a, a mixed bag in some ways. The cops feel like they're kind of mm -hmm. coming at horning in on their territory uh, it, with, with less able hands. But also some people look at it like, hey, this is some are doing good. I think it's a mixed bag here. Yeah, it is. Um, and I saw a very wide range of reactions, everything from um, uh, police seeing them and being like, hey, guys, come over here. Let's get a picture together, because I'm sure they wanted to, to show the other guys at the station, you know, hey, look what I hung out <laughs> right, with tonight. Yeah. And, uh, but, so I think some kind of thought it was just silly or funny. I think some... Uh, appreciate it though genuinely would give them encouraging words like hey thanks for looking out for your neighbors we wish more people would do that and then you had some that definitely were like you need to get off the street because you're just going to make a bigger problem than you're trying to solve and um, you're getting in our way you're not trained to do it so you need to leave uh, the crime fighting to the professionals. So I think there was a pretty wide range of reactions to them within law enforcement. Now, what did you see? So I'm, uh, this question is kind of kind of weird, but I think that, that in some ways, given what we've seen with some law enforcement, given what we've seen with the fact that a lot of weird changes are going on in law enforcement. Some are losing funding. Some are um, just quitting the jobs. You know, there's there's a backlash. It's it's a crazy situation. It's chaotic, right? So in some ways, I can see in certain areas where there is an advantage to vigilantes, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, some people get away. You know, I, yeah. I live in a, in, a, in a nice area in Los Angeles, and occasionally I take the stairs all the time. And I can't tell you how many times I see graffiti in the staircase that I've got to call. And, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to admit... I, I I didn't, I'm not going to be an Argyle-based superhero, but I have often thought about dressing up and patrolling <laughs> the stairways at night and, you know, doling out a beating yeah. or two to uh, a person graffitiing my stairway, a stairwell. Now, that's a very Batman-ish approach, right? I mean, this is yeah, probably a little yeah. unhealthy, but I, it's the feeling I get when people are coming into your neighborhood and destroying it and then going to their neighborhood uh, and don't have to deal with that. So my point is I see the appeal and I see the need for vigilanteism. But how did you feel? Were you really neutral going into this? And did your experience with anyone change how you felt 
afterwards? Uh, I mean, no. Like I said, you know, the neighborhood I lived in at the time, especially, it had crime problems. And I, I remembered this particular incident where I had a friend uh, who was a woman. She worked at a cafe and, you know, she got done with work. She had worked a, a hard shift. She got together her her tips, which was like what, you know, maybe twenty, fifty dollars. And she wanted to go meet her friend at the bar, which was less than a block away. But as she was walking there, these two guys stepped out from the the shadows and just wow. punched her in the face and uh stole her, her purse. And she called the police and they showed up like an hour later, you know. So when when you hear a story like that, I was so angry and felt helpless and i was like and this was before i knew anything about real life superheroes i was like i wish i could dress up like batman (laughs) and hide out there so if i would see that i could run up and punch these guys in the face Mm -hmm. you know so so when i heard about i was like i get it you know like everyone complains about how long cops take to respond to stuff or that they don't care or that they'll laugh at the victims sometimes um so i could i could see the inspiration but you know i think the problem with vigilante groups especially you mentioned uh the bald knobbers who were this uh, vigilante group in the wild west and at that time there's no law enforcement so they start out by hanging uh cattle and horse thieves right that kind of makes sense. Like it's a, it's extreme to kill someone yeah. for stealing your cattle. Yeah. To say the but least. Then again, in that time, you could die. <laughs> yeah. 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 But but if you think about it, at that time, you could die fair if enough. your cattle yeah. were stolen. Yeah, fair enough. You know. But but then they started to devolve. Uh, like you you mentioned, one of the things was uh, in this report I read, they would show up to your house and whip you if you were acting ornery. <laughs> So <laughs> by their definition, of course, because so, that's not a legal definition. <laughs> right, right. So it seemed like they kind of devolved into petty, you know, you looked at them the wrong way and you would uh, get beaten up by them. I think that's a real problem with vigilante groups is they start with a place that uh, has good intentions and is maybe helpful. But then because they're, they have this power, they're like, all right, we're going to make the rules. So, you know. If you uh, serve pickles on hamburgers and we're going to put you out of business because we don't like pickles, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what I said. It's, you know, it's kind of what I said about the Batman being on the line between superhero and supervillain. You know, what's the difference between some of these superhero, like if, if a superhero group, if some of these real life superheroes get together in groups, what's the difference between them and a gang? It's just the side of the law that you're on, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these right. people think it's the New York Initiative. They're also featured in the superhero um, superheroes documentary. Uh, you know, they're they're pretty serious. I mean, these, some of these guys they they're um, they've got a very strong stance on crime. Uh, I get it. I understand. While they're beating up criminals, it's fine. But it's so easy to take that switch over because then what's a criminal, right? Like what, you know, uh, because one of the things I wanted to quickly transition into on that same topic is some of these superheroes like the Fox 
are extremely, almost singularly focused on one issue they want to fix. It's not crime in general. You know, his was specifically environmental crime and and very specific companies like Armored Dial yeah. was one. Uh, there are a couple others. You know, you've got um, one uh, Terrifica who specifically looked out for drunk women coming out of bars to protect them from, I assume, men uh, or just general crime that could happen to anyone who's drunk. Uh, there, <laughs> This one is great. I yeah. bet you love this one. But, you know, the angle grinder man, uh, who was inspired by the wheel clamp oh, man yeah. in Australia, <laughs> and he would cut off the boot on cars. So people who don't live in big cities may not know this, but if your car is parked in a section of town in a large city for a long period of time, uh, if it has too many parking tickets, they won't let you just drive away. They put this big metal contraption on the front. And so he would, you know, go out and cut yeah. them off, you know, so they're singularly focused, which can make people uh, walk that line, you know, fall onto the other side of that very easily. Cutting off a boot, it's illegal, T. Yeah, yeah. Um, another more modern example, there was a, a couple from Australia and they were very um, involved with animal rights specifically. So, but yeah, you know, I, he, cutting off the, the boot of a car is illegal, but I know that he definitely had quite a few fans oh. <laughs> because a lot of people thought that it was uh, it was not fair that they would have to deal with this boots stuck on their sure. car you know but i mean it's usually so. <laughs> it's on your car because you've broken a couple laws they're not just haphazard the, the, the city you know they're not just putting them on a random car to, to, for, as an abuse right, of power right, right, but right. i know what you mean yeah, yeah. He, he was the robin hood of uh, sure sure he's the working man superhero <laughs> uh well i just made an argument that super mario is the working man superhero these are guys who fight for the common man uh well now let's talk because i don't want to run out of time before we hit some of your stories um, I, would you be able to stick around for maybe a bonus episode on the super villain movement? Um, because I want—I don't sure. think we're going to get to yeah. it here, but we've got to talk about the super vil, superhero super yeah, villain movement, which is, uh, dude, that yeah. was my favorite part of the book, and that was a real <laughs> shocker. Um, but let's talk about like your adventures because you had—you went on the—you know—you researched, you went out, you were on the ground there. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, the Watchmen. I mean, we mentioned the Mary Tyler Moore. W tell me some of your favorite adventures that you went on, and some of the most dangerous. Which were the most memorable? Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about your experiences. Um, I think one of my favorite positive memories was um, they started organizing this real life superhero event called Hope, um, which started in San Diego, and it was time to coincide with the san diego comic-con and real life superheroes from all over the country would come to this event and they had done some fundraising and gotten trucks full of supplies and they would there's a huge homeless population in san diego so they would uh, find this population and hand out backpacks full of supplies and food and um it just i think because it was sunny, nice weather, and uh, everyone was doing something positive. It was just a, a really great experience that I really enjoyed um, being a part of. I was there helping them hand out supplies, and there was, you know, 20 or 30 real-life superheroes. So um, I, bet, I met a bunch of new ones there. Um, the superheroes documentary that you mentioned, the year I went was the year that that documentary was completed. Ah. And um, they did a screening of it at the San Diego Comic-Con. And all of the superheroes there were in the audience, which I don't think people realized. They were because we came in a little bit late. Mm -hmm. So um, when the documentary ends, like 
all these superheroes are there and they start walking towards the front of the stage and oh wow they got a huge standing ovation <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool uh, it was a that was a really fun experience uh definitely probably one of the most frightening nights of my life uh <laughs> happened in seattle i think i know where you're going with this yeah <laughs> um phoenix jones who you mentioned had become uh a very quick rising star in the real life superhero well now i should say not in the community not in the real life superhero community but in the media he was getting a lot of media attention and um I was like, all right, well, I got to go to Seattle and, and check this guy out because it's a big story. Now, you mentioned now in the, in the just to tell people, like he was the first superhero I heard of in the media. Uh, and he you know, he you said he reminded you a little bit of Muhammad Ali, you know, very charismatic, yeah. uh, which is if you're going to have a personality, the Muhammad Ali character, I think, has been overdone in sports too much. It's it's a little much. I feel like it's perfect for yeah. the superhero movement, <laughs> you know, and yeah, I think that's no, why no, he, he was charming, but he was very cocky. If uh, if people would criticize him, he would jab right back, you know. Um, so I really liked him. Uh, I know that he's not happy with me because I've told the story of this frightening night and it's not really a flattering story, I have to say. So but it's just the story. Uh, know it's just what happened. How can you get mad at someone for telling what like what happened? That's like, own, well, it. own it, Phoenix I, Jones. Come on, buddy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've really always liked him. I I enjoyed talking to him, and I think he does have, you know, he's had good intentions or wanted to be a superhero. He really wanted to be a superhero. And he was one of the ones that you mentioned where he was actually in the shape to be one because he was a MMA fighter. Yeah. A legit fighter yeah. with, with, so, a, with a winning record, not a guy who did it yeah, and lost. He was good. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was, yeah. He was really yeah. good. Um, he had a lot of, you know, he was really interesting. He had a mini fire extinguisher uh, for um, for his you know, as a pepper spray as his main weapon. And <laughs> you mentioned, uh, I don't know if people listening are going to know what Scoville units are, but those are units of heat that are typically attributed to uh, hot peppers. Uh, so just yeah. for <laughs> just for a, a sake here before I want you to continue your story, we're going to get back to it. But I thought this was great. So a jalapeno pepper has about three to eight thousand Scoville units, a habanero. Uh, which is one of the hottest outside of a ghost pepper. I think I, I'm probably a little behind on this, but that has like 35, uh, three, I'm sorry, 350,000 Scoville units. His pepper spray had 2 million Scoville units, yeah. which I don't know how that doesn't do like in Raiders of the Lost Ark and just burn your face and melt it yeah. off. I don't yeah. know. Um, but anyway, that's what he was armed with, including martial arts training when you were running around with him. So uh, uh, that's what that's the, yeah. the, the, the prequel going into this story. Yeah, well, uh, another part of the prequel, too, is before we went on patrol, I met up with him um, and his significant other at the time, who was named Purple Rain, <laughs> at a cafe. And uh, they showed up at the cafe in their costumes, and uh, we sat down at a table, and he had a duffel bag that was full of weapons. And, you know, people were kind of gawking at us in this cafe, and he was pulling out all these different weapons. He had a collapsible <laughs> baton. Um, he had zip ties so he could, you know, zip tie a criminal's hands together. And uh, and then he pulls out that, you know, it looked like a miniature fire extinguisher <laughs> full of pepper spray. I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, um, We went out on patrol. It was, uh, the first night it was 
nothing much happened other than him being mobbed for pictures everywhere we went. Everyone wanted to take their picture with him because he was Seattle. Well, he's not only famous in Seattle, but I mean beyond. So, but the second night we were on patrol, there was a couple of incidents that happened, but really the main thing was we were um, we were walking. This is like two or three in the morning, and we saw a group of people down a hill, and they were fighting with each other in the middle of the street. And it was a full-on fight. I mean, um, I saw a guy get pushed down to the ground. He was getting kicked. People were punching each other. And so Phoenix Jones just hauls down this hill, and he jumps in the middle of these people fighting, and he pepper sprays to the guys. Uh, They're fighting with this 2 million Scoville unit pepper spray. Well, pepper spray is not really an exact science. <laughs> it kind of uh, right. no. creates this cloud. So everyone, everyone standing around is rubbing their eyes and like in pain. Sure. And uh, one of these guys' girlfriends got really mad at, at Phoenix Jones and pulled off her high heel shoe and was hitting him on the head with her shoe over and over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, just total chaos. Like people are running different directions. Uh, a couple of guys like jumped in a car and like pulled this U-turn and like hit a guy on the side of his body oh, as God. he drove away. And and um, and it calmed down for a second. And uh, me and, and Phoenix Jones and there was a, a filmographer with us that night that was just kind of you know, following him around. Yeah. And he had a, one of his teammates named ghost was there. So we're on one side of the street and then I look on the other side of the street and these guys, uh, you know, they're all like confused and angry and irritated and they're gathering together. Uh, we discovered they're Russians by the way, cause they started screaming in Russian. Sure. <laughs> and, a good uh, sign. Yeah. and all of a sudden they all come running across the street to attack us and <laughs> Phoenix Jones pepper sprays them all again. <laughs> yeah. You know? And so they're screaming and like staggering around in the street. I'm standing there and this guy runs up to me and punches me in the face. Oh wow. You got popped. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, not very hard because I was much taller than he was and he couldn't really see because he was blinded by pepper spray. <laughs> sure. But he punched me and he goes, you are with them. Why? <laughs> I don't like, have time to answer. No, Stop no, no. punching I like, me. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. That's all I could say. Um, and then I saw this little concrete island in the street. And I was like, I'm going to go stand on that island because, uh, oh, and there's some train tracks nearby. I'm like, I'm going to go stand on that because if they try to attack me, I can push them into the street and then I can run up the tracks and get away. But Phoenix Jones ran over and stood next to me on this concrete island. And he's talking to me. He's like, hey, are you okay? And, you know, was checking on me, which was nice. But then I hear this SUV revving up and I look across the street and two of the guys are in this SUV looking at us. I was like, oh, dude, they're going to try to run us over this vehicle. (laughs) Yeah. So he ran like one way and I ran the other way. And sure enough, they come peeling out and like try to hit him with the SUV. And they got out and started picking up rocks. We were kind of near the the beach. So there was these big rocks they were picking up and throwing at him. And I was like, I was terrified. Really? I was like, this is getting really bad. Like someone could die here. 
at one point we'd seen one guy like digging around in another guy's jacket it looked maybe like he was going for a gun or something you know so i was like this is this could be deadly well you don't know who these people are you know nothing about them they could be russian mobsters they could just be drunk they could be crazy you don't know anything about this group of people which at any any one of them could be nuts oh my god yeah and uh so I, I've, there was a concrete pillar. It was kind of under this overpass was part of the area we were in. So I hid, I hid behind this concrete pillar. <laughs> like Wiley Coyote, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was peeking around it, seeing what was going on because I also wanted to be aware of where people were in case I needed to flee. Sure, sure. And, and then I never thought I'd be so relieved to hear this. I heard um, police sirens because I had tried to call... 911 a couple times everyone was screaming at me to call 911 but the thing was i wasn't from seattle so 911 was like hey what's the cross streets that you're on i'm like i have no idea where we are i have no idea now, now let me now in the 911 call because this was funny to me I, I in the story you say you handed it to phoenix jones and he he answered 911 with this is phoenix jones guardian of seattle <laughs> like yeah. that even in the mix he doesn't break character i mean you got to really yeah. respect that level of commitment yeah yeah uh so the police eventually show up um they separate the two groups of people uh the the cops when they got out of their squad car the first thing was they saw him and they were like phoenix jones i'm tired of playing these games with you man and uh they called him over they made him take off his mask oh wow i got to see what he looked like without the mask on had you not seen him before that no only in in his costume wow yeah so uh um you know and then they called me and the filmographer over uh, and they were like, Hey, this is for all three of you. You have the right to remain silent. Well, I was like, Oh great. Now we're going to go to jail. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but in, you know, after they talked to us, they decided they would let me and Ryan was a filmographer go, but they arrested Phoenix Jones. They took him to jail. And I think you even talk about him being in jail with people. He had gotten arrested the, pr- earlier that night uh yeah he that's what he yeah. said i don't know if it's true or not but i mean that, that, that i mean that's so much like uh roshad and the watchman is getting put into prison and all the people you put there you know it, it's so funny because he actually said a line when the police made him take off his mask mm-hmm. they like put it on the the hood of the squad car and he said give me back my face oh yeah <laughs> right which is what rorschach told uh, the police when they demask him and um and watch right <laughs> So, so it was a, a while. And after, you know, so these other people just left. They weren't arrested at all. And didn't um, that bother you? I mean, that that's yeah. That, it that did. sounds. I mean, that's that's the bad policing that people roll their eyes at, right? Yeah. Like they had a vendetta. Yep. They had a very specific agenda, which was to stop Phoenix Jones. Not talking yeah. about a bunch of Russians who have just come after you guys and tried to run you over with a car. Like, let's forget them for a second. I mean, well, it's 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 even worse than that because they went over to get their side of the story and they said, "Hey, what what happened here?" And they said, "Well, we were just dancing in the street, having a good time, and this guy just ran up to us and pepper sprayed us." And the police were like, all right, sounds legit to me. You're free to go. See, and now this is where you and I differ because I would have gotten arrested that night because there's no way I would have let the cops get away with that side of the story. 
And that would have, that's me fighting City Hall, and I would have lost that battle, and I would have been <laughs> in prison with Phoenix Jones. Because that level, because you know how I mentioned earlier that some people have a very singular focus of their superherodom? That's the type of stuff that would drive me up a wall. It's like those little, uh, it's, it's the principle of the matter. Like, you guys are not doing your job, and you're targeting this guy who... I'm not going to say he's not responsible. I'm not going to say he doesn't belong in jail. But people trying to run you over with a car, I am shocked that that was allowed to go on. That's crazy to me, T. Yeah, it was um, It was definitely unfair. I mean, they were very obviously having a, a violent fight in the street. Yeah. So, And that's what he was responding to. You know, whether the correct thing to do is to pepper spray them, you know, I think that probably made it worse, but he was trying to he was trying to intervene because he thought that those people were in danger of, um, you know, seriously injuring someone. And he so. was probably I mean, they were definitely going to seriously injure you. I mean, not without provocation, but yeah. But I mean, it's interesting. We talked about it earlier. We didn't talk about it. I wanted to stick it in earlier where when do you intervene? Like, that's a very tricky question for a lot of these real life superheroes is when do you get involved? Uh, and when do you know not to get involved? Uh, so I want to just quickly tie up this story because this is this this goes back to what I was saying earlier. You know, after that event, you know, he got busted for four four counts of assault, ends up in jail. Uh, I don't remember what the the sentencing was, but I know that he ended up losing his job. He helped autistic children, ended up losing his job, became kind of a national phenomenon, was goofed on on Saturday Night Live. Uh, So his whole life changed. Now, I don't know what happened between that event, but, you know, I just was reading, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in 2020, he was busted for selling drugs to a cop. Uh, an undercover police yeah. officer. So you've got Phoenix Jones going from being a superhero to a supervillain in the course of like, you know, 10 years or whatever. Like there's nothing. I mean, if you're selling drugs, how are you not part of the problem? Like you've walked over the line, you know? Um, so that's interesting. I mean, it just shows that it's very difficult. It's a hard life to lead. You know, maybe he was looking for money because he didn't have a job. Maybe he's still doing good thing. I don't know the reason. And I'm not judging what was going on, except you probably shouldn't sell drugs to a cop. But, you know, whatever. But it's yeah. just it just shows you how tricky that line is and how easy it is to fall over on the other side. It's probably unknowingly, knowingly, you know, it's tricky. You know what I mean, T? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've I've heard different things about that incident. Um but it looks like, you know, he he slipped up there for sure. But it's um it's I mean, life is not like a comic book. It's it's has its ups and downs and twists and turns. So it gets it gets tricky. Um, but, you know, it's 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 a fascinating look. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's so, such an interesting subculture. And I don't even know is this. So my last question to you is, as we wrap up here. Uh, was this a fad? I mean, was this a fad of like the, you know, the late 2000s and the teens? Is it still going on? You know, the people you kept, you know, that still keep in touch with, are they still doing it? Has it fizzled out? Has it gotten bigger, stronger? What's been going on as like a wrap up to this whole movement? Yeah, I think um, it, it kind of boiled down to the people who are really serious about it are the ones who are still doing it. And uh, there are still real life superheroes out there. Uh, for sure. Um, a great thing is my book, American Madness, is being adapted into a documentary. Oh, wow. That's um, great. We've been, yeah, we've been working on that for 
the last few months. Wow. Um, so in September, we actually we went to Chicago because they had a Hope event. Um, so that event started in San Diego, but they also do uh, an event in Chicago now, too. And so there was about a dozen real life superheroes there in September. And we followed them for a little while, just getting some footage of them and, and asking them questions about being a real life superhero. Um, and then in, in October, we went and visited the California Initiative, which is still um, a very active group. And uh, they're they're really great people. And just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to Rock and Roll, who is a member of the California Initiative, because she's working on writing a, a memoir type of book about her life. And so she wanted to talk to me a little bit about writing. Um, and there's several others um, that I'm still in contact with. Uh, Geist from Rochester, Minnesota, is a guy I've met many, many times over the years. And uh, I'll tell you the story because I love it so much. Um, I had a bartending gig. This was a few years ago now, I guess, probably around 2018, 19. And uh, he knew that I worked there because I would post about it on social media. And one day it was slow and this guy walks in and he says, hey, I hear this really cool author works here. Is that true? And I looked at him. I didn't recognize him, but I recognized his voice. And I was like, this is Geist. Mm -hmm. He's just wearing normal clothes. He's not wearing his costume and his mask. Or is he wearing a costume so and a mask? Yeah, right. That is his costume. So so I finally got to see what he looked like when he wasn't dressed up like a superhero. <laughs> As he comes in and surprises you. That's great. I mean, it's it's cool that you've got these connections. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it's just a fascinating movement that, you know, uh, I, I bet I could I could have been in my younger days pushed into this movement, um, probably against my my better judgment. <laughs> but but it's uh, I can see <laughs> I can see myself falling into it. So how do people you know get in touch with you? You know, not everyone can have a signed and autographed book sent to their house, uh, or can they? How can they get the book? Find you social media purchasing. Uh, let's give it to them. Uh, the easiest way is to go to my website tkrulos.com. Um, on the website, you'll find information about all the books I've written, my contact information, upcoming appearances, and uh, and I write a weekly um, column slash podcast, Tease Weird Week. Um, like we mentioned, just kind of random weird stuff. But yeah, you can find everything there at tcrulos.com. Social media, you want to give uh, specifics? Um, yeah, you can find links to that on the website too, but definitely if you search my name on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you'll find my page. Okay. And I'll make sure to have all that stuff up there as well. And if you want to follow our show, you know, fascinatingnouns.com is the way to do it. We are on Fascinating Noun on Twitter, Fascinating Nouns on, on Facebook. Uh, we don't have a MySpace, and I'm gathering that you don't either, T. Uh, <laughs> I actually, I, I, I do, I think. I never, like, took it down, so it's still there. So this hasn't been active 20 years. for over 10. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, I mean, it's, right. <laughs> well, if I find it, well, put it up there as well. But T, you so you're going to stick around. We're going to talk about, uh, do a quick little thing on, on super villains. There's actually a super villain movement, which is so great. Uh, but T, thank you so much. Welcome to the Two Timers Club. I hope you're as excited to be thank a part you. of it as I am. I am. That's great. Uh, and thank you so much for, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glenco production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. 
The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. And I'm guessing after listening to this, you never want to miss another episode. You're going to want to subscribe. We are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. and We even have links right there on our show website, which is fascinatingnouns.com. You can find all the links right there. And let's say you don't have a favorite podcasting platform. That's no problem. You can listen to every episode right there on the website, which is once again, fascinatingnouns.com. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. It's a great way to learn more about the episodes that you're listening to, find out about upcoming episodes, and to just keep in touch with the community. It's right there on the website. Speaking of community, there's no better way to stay in touch than on social media. And you can find links to our show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube pages right there on the front page of fascinatingnouns.com. And speaking of YouTube, there's a video version of this episode there right now, uh, as well as other past episodes and all future episodes. It's going to be right there, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. It's a great way to see all the guests and, uh, you know, check it out live and in person. Feel like you're there in studio. Great way to do it, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And finally, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com and check out all of my projects and see what's going on. Once again, thank you for listening. End of transmission.